0: You built the time machine? Kind of a DeLorean? This is the stupid
2: cancer show. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mundus. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs>
0: Hello there, children! Hey, hey, kids!
2: People
0: <laughs> seem to like me because
2: I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer
0: Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zappi. woo Not that there's anything wrong with us? Oh, Yeah.
1: Monday, November. What is today? Holy crap. November 14th. Yeah, November 14th. All day wrong, long. I put the wrong date in. what a great way to start the show, folks. Welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adults with cancer. I'm Matthew Zachary, a 15-year young adult
2: survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhard, 16-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. Epic fail on my part. It's not okay.
1: So It's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay that 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's
2: show, Stirring Things Up. Matthew, isn't that what we do every week? Yeah, but we got
1: a chef on tonight, so there's there's a pun intended.
2: We are very excited. Hans Rupert, young adult survivor of stomach cancer, yes, stomach cancer, Celebrity Chef, next food network star, and he's a chef at Out of the Blue a restaurant in Blue Ridge, Georgia. He joins us tonight, as does Matthew Farber. He's director of Provider Economics and Public Policy for the Association of Community Cancer Centers. And kicking it off in the spotlight, Jenna Ben, she is Founder of, she's a gray zone lymphoma survivor and founder of the Twist Out Cancer Foundation, Matthew. The Stupid Cancer
1: Show is a production of the M.T. Young for the Cancer Foundation online at stupidcancer.com. We're not your father's cancer society, and we are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs. So, welcome aboard. Another fun, and exciting romp to the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show. Where remission is not a cure And survivorship is all that matters
2: And a stupid cancer welcome to any and all of our first time listeners Here on the Blog Talk Radio Network And on iTunes Download is free, it's easy, it's automatic As we broadcast live from the chemo deck, Our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan And as a
1: final reminder The Stupid Cancer Show has a live interactive chat room During each and every broadcast We invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends And ask questions of our guests And with that I will reaffirm it is November 14th. That it is. Monday. one, 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 four, one, one.
2: We got past the 11-11-11. We did. Yep.
1: Um, who's here tonight? Mr. Kenny Kane. Hello. Welcome Kenny. back. Big Red. Dr. Reverend Mr. James Manning. What up, Matt? How you doing? Good. What's How
2: the point are you? Him? He said, what up?
3: I'm kind of getting That's used to the radio loosening now. Up.
2: He's, you want like the stiffest was,
3: copper rod? That
2: is a major step forward. What what, you're, you're
3: beating
1: me into submission. I'm used to the radio now. <laughs> it's like a what up, y'all. Yeah. It's not that bad. Damn. And returning champion Kimberly Hellum in the house.
2: Hey, Kim. Hey, how is it going?
0: <laughs> Ooh. She's
2: oh, taking it. She's taking I, just wanted to, I wanted to go to a saucy place.
0: Late night here on yeah. Blanc Talk Radio. <laughs> That's right.
2: Is it Cinemax? <laughs> Cinemax After Dark? It is Exactly, now. exactly. Well, right. if
0: that's the
1: case, then I have to play, um, I don't even have it anymore.
2: Matt, are you okay?
1: I'm uh, searching for that it's song. It's not okay. It's not okay. <laughs> Matt, Matt didn't he's, have a brain fart. He had a brain short. I not, did. He's
2: not okay.
1: No, I don't have it. I thought I had the Marvin Gaye song.
2: Womp womp wow womp. Or well. we could just go, baum, chicka, baum, chicka, baum. chicka. What yeah,
1: you,
4: yeah you, can you, can you can tell the joke anyway. too. What do you get when you combine a brown chicken and a brown cow? Brown chicken. Brown cow. There you go. Yeah. Right. I'm
1: um I'm notably impressed.
4: <laughs> you liked it. I, I <laughs> Everybody I no, liked I kind of it. I kinda
1: have no choice.
4: Well,
3: it happened.
1: Right. I'm actually more impressed that James is loosening up. Yeah. I James think is, that's James the news has got of the a week. funk
3: on. I think this weekend helped. Did you drink in Austin?
1: A little bit. He did. I watched the man down some beverages.
3: Three margaritas.
1: Yeah. Wow. Did they
3: have tequila in them? Or were they virgin margaritas? <laughs> no, they, they had tequila.
1: They were in a baby bottle.
2: Yeah.
1: Wow. No, Kenny, uh, James, and I were at the Livestrong Young Adult Alliance annual meeting. Yes, yeah, you were. Which is the last meeting of the Livestrong Young Adult Alliance because it is now just called the Young Adult Alliance. And it is no longer affiliated with Livestrong.
2: Okay. You well, want to explain l- that, Yeah.
1: Livestrong is going to fund it, but the, the org is now its own nonprofit organization separate from Livestrong.
2: But they are going to fund it for three years. I
1: mean, so someone's got to fund it.
3: Right. Yeah. And that would be Livestrong, so they do have some So for three years, Livestrong will fund it, and then they have to figure out how they're going to get funded. Right,
1: so they have to raise their own money at some point. They have yep. to build a whole new board of directors and a whole new whatever, whatever. I, I think this is very actually kind of nice because – the sentiment amongst many of the members was that we weren't quite sure what it was mm-hmm. uh, with relation to Livestrong. Were they going to fund it? Were they going to turn it into a program? And we have our answer. So it's good. Right. It's a good thing for us. Um, the event was a really kind of a morale booster, right, Kenny? Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Well, I'll, I'll just say that I had four margaritas. Oh, well. Followed by... <laughs> no, four margaritas. No, I... I
2: he can't be outdone by James. Yeah. That's what it's, it's all not about. not important. Yeah.
1: Kenny had four margaritas, and we proceeded to go out and have, like, $9 <laughs> beers, right? Sure. Kenny, we had the ginger bar crawl of yeah. one. Yep. <laughs> man so on that, a
3: mission.
2: So that's interesting. So it's no longer – before it was kind of this consortium of nonprofits. It was us right. and the Young Survival Coalition – and uh, Keep A
1: and, and Johnny Irwin right. and Dominican Friends, First Descents, blah, blah.
2: And we all kind of were under this umbrella. I mean, we we're all on our own, but we all sort of were joined with this Strong Young Adult Alliance. Right. Now it's its own nonprofit funded by Livestrong, of which we are no longer part. It's an independent organization.
1: Right. And they're in the process of figuring out what membership is going to look like. Right. And I would love to have a hand in that conversation because I believe that membership should have its privileges, but membership should be a privilege.
2: Somebody, you stole that line. No, I didn't. American Express? Never heard of it. Yep. Anyway, so, keep going.
1: That membership should be an entitlement, not a right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that membership should have a privilege of membership, but there should be certain things you need to do to be a member.
2: Like health care, an entitlement, not a right. Exactly. hmm
1: Precisely. Gesundheit.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the... um. I am hoping that they move it in the right direction that suits the needs of their key stakeholders. Hashtag stroke throat. (laughs) And um, of which we are one. We are one of their key stakeholders. I would like to see that what they do makes sense for my organization, for this organization, that we can then trickle that down to the other groups that look up to us for saying, what is this and can we be a part of it?
2: Yeah. Well, you know what? They kind of know what they're doing over there at Livestrong. so.
1: Well, uh, James, James, um, Doug Ullman was just in Fast Company.
2: Well, your brain is really like,
1: I'm a whoa. Mess. I'm a mess tonight. Okay. You guys can just keep the Matt yeah. trend, the brain trend, the yeah. MZ brain mm-hmm. trend hashtag. So Doug Ullman,
2: on. yeah.
1: Doug Ullman and Lance Armstrong were in Fast Company, a big article in Fast Company this right. week, about how they felt that the, the initial uh, Livestrong wristbands mm-hmm. were a huge mistake.
2: Really? Yes. I didn't see that piece. Why?
1: Um, they felt that, like they didn't want to go kitsch.
2: But they didn't
3: go kitsch. I mean, they were very empowering, and that's but why they caught on. they didn't
1: know on. that. No one had done it before the right way. They yeah. don't
3: think it's a mistake now. They thought early on before they were... No, they don't mean
1: now. They meant like in 2003 when Phil Knight came and said, we want to give you five million of these, have fun... Lance was like, well, what are we going to do with 4,900,000 of them?
2: I see. I didn't understand. I thought you meant how could they possibly view it now as being
1: a No, mistake. no, no. They, but like, back, then, back then, they, they thought then, like, like, it might be a kitschy move. Stupid, right. useless. Uh, some closet full of a million wristbands. <laughs> but it's a great article yeah. uh, in Fast Company. Kudos to Doug and to, li- to Lance for... Uh, yeah. Actually, more to Doug. Lance always gets the press. Kudos to Doug mm-hmm. Ullman for getting pressed in Fast Company.
2: Three-time survivor, Doug yeah.
1: Ullman. Three-time.
2: Um, so we should talk about the passing of Eve- Evelyn Lauder.
1: Yes, and there's of course there's always a controversy when someone pinkish passes away.
2: Well, I don't know if it's a huge controversy. I mean, she was first of all she she passed at 75 and she died of ovarian cancer that she's had I think since 2007. Right. Um, and she's credited with being the co-founder of the Pink Ribbon. But actually, I think what well I, as I as I know what happened is that the pink there was a woman named and I'm going to call a woman named Charlotte Haley who actually. First, had the ribbon, and it was peach color. And as the story goes, Evelyn Lauder and Alexander Penny, who was then the editor in chief of Self Magazine, wanted to do a ribbon, and they tried to work with Charlotte, but that kind of fell through. So legally, they still wanted to go forward and do a ribbon, so they picked the color pink, as Charlotte Haley did a peach ribbon. And I think Charlotte wanted to keep hers more on a local level, grassroots kind of thing. And this big, wide scale pink ribbon went national with Self Magazine. And Estee Lauder, which obviously was tremendous in bringing awareness on a national platform. Right. So, um, so we can't we can't underestimate the hand that she had in the money she donated. And the Sloan Kettering
3: Wing is in her name and her husband's name. Oh no,
1: she was a major philanthropist. Yeah, Made major, a huge difference. major, major. and big big
3: provided huge yep. amounts of money to cancer, breast cancer research. A whole foundation yep. that she basically. No one's in. talking to you. I know. <laughs> it always happens.
2: What do you, you think? You knock back three margaritas tonight. I'll try. And you can.
3: <laughs> he already
1: did. You missed the bottles in the, the kitchen. It's ugly. Those yeah. weren't mine, Matt. Oh. <laughs> Kenny. Uh-huh. <laughs>
2: so yeah, that's a, that's a, she's a, ma- a major force. No, it's a big deal in the cancer world. And she will be missed. Evelyn Lauder. How old? 75? Seventy-five. Seventy-five. Th- very cancer. I'll take seventy-five. Yeah. Even I'll, with cancer,
1: I'll take seventy-five.
2: Yeah. No, she uh, she blazed the trail. Alright, right, 8-11. We should probably get to our first guest. What do you think, Matt?
1: I think we're gonna to get to our first guest. So, um Who's gonna take the intro? I'll read her. Go for it. Because I know her, I, I met her, she's a fantastic person. And let's see if she gets the joke. Come
0: on, let's first again. That
1: my That's not that far of a stretch. I think she'll probably get it. Gentlemen is a twenty nine year old recent gray zone lymphoma survivor. A disease that affects less than three hundred in the United States. Jenna is literally one in a million. Trained as a social worker, Jenna works as the assistant director for the Anti-Defamation League. It's a big deal. During her six-month fight with cancer, Jenna created a movement of tiny twisters that were deeply committed to twisting out cancer. Jenna has helped over 6,000 people in the twist, and has figured out how to use social media to garner support, create community, and raise money for cancer research. Jenna is in the process of creating a nonprofit organization and is encouraging others to document their twist on cancer. Please welcome to the Super Cancer Show, Jenna Ben.
2: Jenna. Hi, Jenna. Jenna, are you there? Is she there? I'm here. Hi.
4: <laughs> How are you? How are you doing? How are you? Good, thanks. I'm happy to be here.
1: There's a bit of an echo. Are you happen to be on a uh, speakerphone?
4: I I am because um my actual phone died. I'm so sorry. I'm I feel terrible about the echo.
1: We we may need you to shout.
4: Okay.
0: <laughs> She's in shout.
1: a cave somewhere. Yeah. And yeah, is, is In some crazy no. uh, Dick Cheney bunker in Afghanistan somewhere. Right. <laughs> it's usually my house. Right. Aw. <laughs> oh. so, so let's get started. What the hell is gray zone?
4: Yeah, I don't recommend gray zone lymphoma. It sucks. Um It's essentially a crossbreed between Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's. So they initially had diagnosed me with Hodgkin's lymphoma, and then after doing a number of more tests, they found that I looked really like, uh, I I think of it as like a vanilla and chocolate swirl. I look like both. So So I have features of Hodgkin's and some of non-Hodgkin's.
2: So that was literally, they said, well, you're in the gray zone.
4: Yes, I'm in the gray zone. <laughs> <laughs> and they thought,
2: wow, genius. Let's call it gray zone lymphoma. Oh, I
4: mean, come up with a better name, seriously. But uh, we're few and far between, but it's uh, okay. There's some there's some bonuses to being rare, you know, and I've, I've sort of learned that uh, along the way. You get to sort of write your own story. You don't have much to compare yourself to. So that's what I've done.
1: <laughs> so uh, how is one diagnosed with gray zone lymphoma? You were uh you you are 29 now, but how old were you when you were diagnosed, and how difficult was that diagnosis to have been made?
4: Yeah, well, actually, I just turned 30, so I was diagnosed when I was 29. I turned 30 on October 4th, and, you know, I was sick, I would say, with flu-like symptoms for around six months, and I went in for vir- for what they thought was viral meningitis in February, and I think that was sort of the beginning of things sort of changing in my body, and you know, I, I I was coming down with temperatures. I had night sweats. I was losing weight, and it, eventually I went to the gym. I was lifting weights. I thought I pulled something in my back. Got a massage. Didn't work itself out, and then started having trouble breathing. I eventually went to the orthopedist, and uh, they ordered an MRI because I had been there six months earlier with what they thought was nerve pain, and uh, and then they found a large mass. So that's sort of how it happened. So. That was in December, December twentieth, twenty ten, and I finished treatment May tenth, twenty ten. Or twenty eleven, sorry. It's past me.
0: So
1: Ellie you weren't like horribly misdiagnosed or run through the ringer or given like a whole bunch of hoops to jump through, correct?
4: Well, you know, I mean I, I look back at sort of like my medical history and I was going into the doctor around every three weeks and they kept saying, you know, you've got a bad case of the flu. So, you know, that happened a number of times. I don't want to say I was necessarily misdiagnosed, but I don't think anyone at the age of 29 was thinking cancer. You know, it it, it kind of took me by surprise. And I think, you know, I was, I was really having to advocate for myself. I knew that there was something very wrong, and it was just progressively getting worse. And so it, it took really this, the imaging for them to figure out what was going on.
2: So what was your treatment as compared to a Hodgkin's or non-Hodgkin's patient?
4: Yeah, I mean, I was treated with a pretty high dose of uh, chemotherapy that was similar to a non-Hodgkin's patient. So what they wanted to do is they wanted to really overtreat my disease. Um, they didn't want to, you know, risk the potential of having a recurrence. So initially, they thought that I was going to go and have ABVD, which is a typical regimen for Hodgkin's, which is where you go in every two weeks for a couple of hours and it's done outpatient and. You know, a couple of days before I started, I found out that I was starting this non Hodgkin's regimen called Epoch, which essentially made me go in. I was in, inpatient for five days, hooked up to continuous chemotherapy for 120 hours each session, and that happened for six rounds. Wow. It was intense. It yeah. Was not fun. And, you know, when I finished um, the actual treatment, what happened is, you know, I was getting ready to go back to work full time. I mean, I was working sort of remotely. The ADL was amazing in terms of accommodating me. But I was really excited to finally sort of reemerge and reenter the world. And I came down with a pretty nasty infection that either started in my blood or started in my urine and entered into my bloodstream, and it got very serious very fast. So I was back in the hospital for what I sort of refer to as round seven. uh, You know, fighting really hard, and that took a long time to recover from. That infection was pretty rough.
2: Wow. So how are you? How is how are things now health-wise?
4: Health-wise, they're good. You know, I continue to have scans every six months. I have blood work done every three weeks. You know, I have what I sort of refer to as scan anxiety before I go in. But I've been anxiety
2: like it. That's a good one.
4: Yeah. I mean. I've been in the clear. I've been in remission. I was in remission actually after my first round of chemotherapy. So they really knocked it out really quick, and that was on March 3rd. And I've continued to stay in remission, and, you know, I hope that it will stay that way. That's that's what I hope and pray for.
1: Now, I had the privilege of meeting you this summer with Kenny, actually, at the Stupid Kids Boot Camp in Chicago. Yes. You, you are quite a force of nature, I have to say.
4: <laughs> Thank you. Have you always
1: been this way, or did cancer turn you into more of a firecracker?
4: I think cancer kind of brought out uh, some interesting qualities. You know, I think when you sort of go through this period of uh, sensory deprivation, your brain starts sort of unlocking different parts that sort of were dormant for a while. So I never really thought of myself as being really creative. Um, But, you know, I think this whole experience just sort of transformed or, or heightened certain things that, you know, I had sort of let, go as I became an adult, and so I I think I've sort of become a little bit of an exaggerated version of my former self in some ways.
1: I like that answer.
2: <laughs> I'm looking at your blog now, Kill It in the Butt.
4: Well, that's what it was, yeah, so I did, I formed a blog, Kill It in the Butt, and we sort of moved it into Twist Out Cancer, so that, that name is going away even though I think it's an amazing name.
5: You're, you're phasing
2: out the butt. So tell everybody what twist-out cancer is.
4: Yeah, so, I mean, essentially, for me, you know, when I was sick, I felt really cut off from the rest of the world. As as you all know, a cancer diagnosis is really isolating. Even if you have support, you just feel incredibly lonely. And I found that on the days when I was really immunosuppressed and couldn't go outside, and those days were many, um, I found myself really wanting to connect with the world around me. And so... Pretty soon after I was diagnosed, and when I say soon after, I mean hours after, I started a blog called Killing on the Butt, and it was a place that, you know, I used to sort of just initially update family and friends about what was going on with me, because it just becomes very overwhelming to constantly rehash what's happening to, you know, people that are in your world. And so it started like that, and then it eventually evolved into a place where I could really process what was going on. and became a a haven for me to write and to sort of express what I was dealing with. And I found, so I had never blogged before. I didn't know much about it. I was sort of learning as I went. And as I continued writing, I started seeing, you know, the statistics going up. I started wondering who the hell was reading this. people in all these different countries that I, you know, I was not familiar with anyone living there were reading. And so it started getting me interested in sort of the power of social media. And, you know, as I saw the the numbers go up in terms of blog hits, I, you know, in some ways felt, okay, wow, this is really powerful. I feel really supported. But at the same time, I felt isolated because I didn't know who was reading. And so in some ways, I felt somewhat disconnected. So when I was sick, I decided, okay, you know, I want to somehow see who's watching. I want to see who's a part of my fight. And I always was a dancer. I grew up loving to dance. And so... I decided to post a video of myself when I had zero white blood count, so I had really pretty much nothing in my favor and was pretty dizzy and I thought, what dance moves can I do? And the one dance move that I thought about doing was the twist. I felt like, okay, I can stand up, I can shake my hips, I can move my arms, but that's about the extent of what I'm able to do. So I put out this video and I said, you know, who's joining me on the dance floor? And all of a sudden, I got hundreds of videos of people twisting from all over the world. And it was a pretty incredible thing because I was able to connect with people. I was taken into their homes, into their offices. um, And I felt really like, I felt that I had this whole sort of crew of twisters that were involved in my fight. And I felt that I was a part of their world. And so... It got me really thinking, you know, about how do we deal with these feelings of isolation and loneliness that comes with a cancer diagnosis. And I saw what the power of video did for me. And I saw what the power of Facebook and Twitter and blogging did for me. And I became very open and honest about what was going on with me. And I shared a lot of information, some of which was hard to share and some of it it felt very good to share. And I know that sharing is not for everyone, but I do think that sharing in small doses is good for everyone. And so, essentially, I've decided to create a foundation that's called Twist Out Cancer, which is an online forum for survivors, any type of survivors, and survivors defined by anyone that's heard the word you have cancer to document themselves in a two-minute video where they talk about what their twist on cancer is. And that can mean anything to them. So for me, my twist on cancer was that I twisted through the disease. For huh. other people, it could be something else. You know, however they're getting through it, what are the lessons learned, what's meaningful to them. And then what we asked them to do is to put out a twist-out cancer challenge. So what I did is I asked people to twist for me and to join me on the dance floor, and that was really meaningful for me because I love to dance. For someone else that may not be meaningful. So what so we're you had, at,
2: did you actually have then a dance where people came and did the twist?
4: Yes, I did. And I that did. was it
2: was that was a fundraiser.
4: Fundraiser, yeah. Okay. So
2: and and how when people do videos, is that also a way of of raising money or more wa- raising awareness?
4: It's raising awareness right now. Eventually, you know, we'll be doing some fundraising with that, but it's it's really the the purpose is to create an online network of support for survivors. So. Essentially, you know, people upload their videos and then they'll put out twist off cancer challenges. So it could be, you know, I'm going through chemotherapy. I've lost my taste buds and miss my grandmother's matzo ball soup recipe. Document yourself eating it. I want to see you enjoying it. And Wait, so, then so you
1: Speaking know, of matzo ball soup, I, I just, I'm curious because uh, you do work for the ADL. <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs> yes.
2: <She's laughs> Tell us about it because you're kicking butt all over the place. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> you said, with the matzo ball soup. They just burned
1: down, like, two Jewish cars in Queens after across from a shul two days ago. So at least... No. It was some crazy you... anti-Semitic crap in Brooklyn, like, three days ago. They burned down, like, three cars.
4: Yeah, the... no, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Honestly, the reports that I get every morning, it's just mind-boggling what is still going on. I mean, it's just, like, archaic that this is still happening. It's so
2: just... what do you do for the Anti-Defamation League, exactly, Your, well, as, was... as assistant director?
4: Yeah, so I oversee all their young leadership activities, their international affairs uh, programming, so I lead a lot of different missions to international locations, meetings with different diplomats and consul generals, and uh, I oversee the media and PR. So, you know, it's been interesting, this whole process of sort of creating this, you know, social network through my cancer experience because it's been completely relevant to the work that I'm doing at ADL because I'm, you know, working hard to engage young leaders. I'm creating a blog for our young leadership right now. And so it's all sort of helped in the process, both, you know, my work um, in my free time extracurricularly with Twist Out Cancer has fed into the work that I'm doing at ADL. So it's been a good marriage.
2: So young survivors and young Jews, you've come to the right place.
4: Right, right.
2: (laughs) Right, Matthew? Um, who's that? Are, we, are we outnumbered? I'm
1: outnumbered tonight I'm a half Jew Helm, are you Jewish?
4: <laughs> I'm not
1: Jewish Helm? <laughs> Sorry
4: No, I'm learning the way, though I say things Hellum? like football
1: sounds
2: Jewish Helm <laughs> Could be, right. <laughs> uh, right I can't believe you didn't play the music, Matthew
1: What? Oh, is this music? There we go oh. I have the usual.
0: The I've been running all over town my or, as, or,
2: as, or as Michelle Bachmann would say, the chutzpah. The chutzpah. The chutzpah. Um, I am going to die. <laughs> so Jenna, you're d- that's that's great. So you're doing you're, you're you're fighting the good fight on many fronts.
4: Yeah, you're a busy good. lady, Jenna. Sorry. I said you're a busy lady. And when do you sleep? Not much. I'm working on that. <laughs> You know, I mean, it feels really good. It feels good to pay it forward. It feels good to be creative, and it feels really good to be a part of this incredible community. It's not a club that I ever thought I'd be a part of or wanted to be a part of, but there's a lot of blessings and a lot of wonderful people that are a part of it. So I think well, we, we all
0: share
1: we, that sentiment. We are your BFFs, and we have to wrap. And I'm really excited to have had you on the show. I'm sorry we missed you at the at uh, the happy hour. Uh, I know, last week. I know,
4: but in Vegas, I will You're, be there.
1: Registration launches tomorrow for Vegas. Sign up tomorrow.
4: Under. Awesome, <laughs> we'll awesome.
1: Look, we'll look forward to seeing you there, Jenna. All right, Jenna. Mazel m- tov on surviving super cancer.
4: Oh, raise your glass line.
1: <laughs> Jenna, take care. Jenna, Ben. Bye-bye. All right. Let's All right. Should we hit it up with the news? news? Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. So dramatic. All right. During this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announced to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy programs, events, services, events that we don't want you missing out on. They're all free. They're just for young adults with cancer. Things like conferences, happy hours of retreats, kayaking and mountain climbing trips, finance webinars, college scholarships, bar crawls, concerts, tweet-ups, support groups, and more do have something coming up that you'd like us to talk about during this part of the show, please send us an email to info at stupidcancer.com That's info at stupidcancer.com
2: Head on over to events.stupidcancer.com Your one-stop shop calendar for all your social and educational events nationwide Stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods and we don't want you missing out. What's going on, fellas?
5: Thursday night, we have a Stupid Cancer Boot Camp in New Orleans, Louisiana. New Orleans, yes. Have fun down there. My first trip ever. NOLA. Tuesday night, uh, November 29th, we have a Buffalo bowling outing uh, followed by a D.C. Metro happy hour the next night. Is that it? That's about it. All right. More to come soon, though. The Stupid
1: Cancer Forums have nearly 1,200 members. Sweet. This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers, just like you. Visit stupidcancerforums.com and sign up with one click through Facebook.
2: Announcing Team Stupid Cancer, our official running team for the New York City Half Marathon. Got feet? Actually, with our crew, feet are optional. Join the hippest running team within a one-block radius of our office. Yes, indeed. Guaranteed entry. Guaranteed entry. Low fundraising minimums and help young adults fight stupid cancer. Visit TeamStupidCancer.com. Limited slots available. Kenny Kane's doing it, and oh, I God. might do it. we
5: got to get Lisa to do Team I might Stupid do Cancer. It. I the might second do anniversary it. of my demise.
1: Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right, registration for the OMG Cancer Summit, folks, launches tomorrow. Come on, everybody. Tomorrow. going to be a great one. Tuesday, November 15th. 1 1 2 p.m. 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. My brain is on fire tonight for the fifth annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults in Las Vegas, Nevada, at the Palms Casino Resort. This event will be unlike any event you've ever been to and it will fill up very, very quickly. Visit omg2012.org and get pumped for the most highly anticipated healthcare event of next year. And also check out the OMG Players Club, an exciting new fundraising challenge where you can earn up to $600 in travel, a free registration reimbursement, and a brand new iPad. OMG2012.org launches tomorrow. And And that that is is your your Stupid stupid Cancer cancer News. I'm so excited for OMG. It's going to be amazing. Just amazing.
2: All right. What do we got next,
3: Matt? I'll I'll read Hans till I met the man.
2: You read Hans, and I'll read Matt.
1: You go for Hans. Hans Rupert, born and raised, a self-described in a house of a... Man, I am... Someone shoot me in the head. Born and raised in a self-described house of food, Hans Rupert has had the pleasure of growing up with with his spirit wrapped in the love of food, cooking, and the culinary arts. In 2005, the self-proclaimed simple chef found himself taping the finale for the next Food Network star only to be ironically diagnosed with stage 2 stomach cancer had half his stomach and half his esophagus removed. Now cancer-free, he's gotten busy living and is back in the kitchen performing miracles every single day. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show my friend and yours, Mr. Hans Rupert. Hans. Hello, evening. Thanks so much for having
5: us on.
2: Great to have you.
5: I love the uh, canned applause. That's that's fantastic. It did sound like you just freshly opened a can of applause. It's not canned. There's no. a whole bunch of people here. Studio's packed. Oh, fantastic! Well, packed. I can put on some better clothes then. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I had
1: the privilege of meeting ahead, you. Um, where the hell was I? You
5: where was were, I? It was in Dallas, and right? So was I. Yeah, we were at the uh, MD Anderson Survivors Conference, and uh, I had just done a, a little bit of a cooking demo for a room full of survivors which was um I have to tell you a pretty emotional thing for me I wow. it was uh it was a neat thing to connect with that many people um and I know you do it quite often uh, on air but I think there's something uh, to be you know to be said about that sort of live energy that was in that room it was pretty what did, amazing what did you cook for them well so I did a, a something from my cookbook it's called a blue and blue salad uh which actually features uh, both cabbage a red cabbage as well as blueberries because you know you always see these lists uh, that, that talk about sort of the top cancer-fighting foods, and uh, mm-hmm. I also incorporated kale in there, so it had three of the top um, cancer-fighting foods, and I mm-hmm. think when people see kale, they think of uh, it as a four-letter word, which it is, but... It's delicious, um, though. But absolutely, and, and so most people don't know what to do with it, so I wanted to incorporate um, three of those of those foods, and... Um, it was quite. Uh, I think it was a hit. People people seemed to enjoy it.
2: So, what I need to know, this, though, so it was blueberry kale, and what was the third ingredient?
5: Uh, red cabbage.
2: Red cabbage, and what did you actually? Do? So, what was I, the? I took
5: that every night. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, right. So, you know, along when with you're your doing Big Mac.
5: Home, that many people on a stage where there's no um, no proper kitchen. Well, obviously, we're limited on what things we could could do. But so what I did was show them how to make the, the dressing part of it because. You know, I think most people just buy these store-bought dressings, and if you if you take the time to read the ingredients, you can't pronounce nine tenths of them. And if you could, you know, you sound like you're from uh, Lithuania. Um <laughs> nice. And it, it's a bunch of crap. I mean, you know, it's just, it's just a bunch of stuff that you would never actually eat on its own. So right. the, uh, the sort of premise of that demo really was to show them how ridiculously simple it is to throw together, um, you know, some incredibly good food with just a handful of ingredients, and and uh, You know, it doesn't have to be as complicated, I think, as sometimes uh, people want you to think it is.
1: And and was this the very first time you've done a performance or a speaking engagement or something like this at a cancer event?
5: Um, You know, that large. Now, I I speak uh, regularly um, and teach regularly in Atlanta here at uh, Piedmont Hospital's Cancer Wellness Center. So I'm usually in front of a group of, you know, 40, 50, 60 people. Um, but you know, and, and I know them quite well. So it's a it's a different thing. Um, you know, when you have people literally from all over the world there, that was a, a very impressive event. So biggest one for sure.
1: So so we have to talk about the irony of this moment. Uh, in that you are a chef and you are diagnosed with cancer of all places, your stomach and your esophagus. <laughs>
5: Yeah, that is, um, you know, I, I grew up watching uh, Monty Python, and so I've always been a huge fan of Monty And so, you know, the, the sort of dark humor of, of that was not lost on me. And, you know, as you mentioned in the intro, they did um, take half of my stomach and half of my esophagus uh, six years ago now. But this year, in March, um, they had to go back in and uh, do my 11th surgery, which was to remove the rest of my stomach, uh, as well as about ninety percent of what was left of my esophagus, leaving me with only about three inches of my original esophagus um so so yeah it's um it is definitely ironic um but it if anything, I think it sort of heightened my love of food, you know so that was kind of the, the premise as I sat down to write a cookbook um my my sort of focus had shifted from quantity to quality. Um, so, you know, the, the title is Eat Like There's No Tomorrow, and it's not meant to be in, in a morbid kind of way, but in sort of a celebratory way, you know, my focus is now on, you know, the quality of food, because I don't have, I have no storage whatsoever. I have no stomach at all. So, since I can't store food, I can only eat small amounts at a time. So, what I eat, it damn well better be good food, you know. Right.
2: So, so let's let's back up a bit. 11 surgeries, and you also had... Part of your right shoulder kind of harvested for for one of the surgeries. Is that, that bite, right? Um,
5: I uh, I'm missing a couple ribs now as well as uh, a portion of my collarbone. It's always fun, you know, when you when you go in to do uh, your scans and you guys you know this scenario. And so you're not always assigned to the same technician. And so they 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 kind of step behind their little panel so they don't get exposed to the radiation then they right. make their little first test x-ray and i always kind of see their face sort of twist up and and then they look at the screen they look at me and they look at the screen and they kind of lean <laughs> over and go
6: do you know you're missing like uh, <laughs> a whole bunch no it was here when i, you know, I got
5: here that's exactly what i want to say i want to lean back and go no gosh i was in perfect working condition when i got here <laughs> um... so yeah they they did um, uh, you know to back up a little bit as you said uh... the initial surgery failed uh, quite quickly so I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks, and then we um, we had a leak. And uh, so basically whatever I was swallowing was, even saliva was basically leaking out from that junction where they uh, did what was called a gastric pull-up, so where they connected what was left of my stomach. We jokingly called what I had a stomophagus.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a
5: Street character, you know, it's, uh, but it's part stomach, part esophagus, and truly neither uh neither of either so how could they tell it, uh, it was le-
2: how could they tell it was leaking did you have symptoms were you in pain i,
5: I did uh, tremendous pain um huh. and basically i was going septic and wow uh, in fact my wife amy who really has been my uh you know my guardian angel through all of this um i had uh, several drainage tubes which were no fun but i was leaking green and at that point they were only allowing me to have a jolly rancher and so I was adamant, like, no, that's the Jolly Rancher, you know, the, no, I was saying, no, that's bile, that's just bile that no. see, and she's like, no, that's Jolly Rancher green, I know my Jolly Rancher green, and that's Jolly Rancher green, and sure enough, what was happening was, um, whatever I was swallowing was leaking out uh, my, my chest tube, so they ended up having to go back in and, and repair that, and so my first surgery, uh, my first and second surgery combined, I was in MD Anderson for seven weeks, so I went without food and water for you know, a total of seven weeks, Wow. Uh, other than the Jolly Rancher. Um, but so over the course of, um, you know, this, the six years, I had lots of complications, um, and so they tried many things to, to fix the leak, including actually doing an experimental uh, procedure where they took um, a pig uh, parts and made a plug out of it because the human body doesn't reject, you know, those, like they've done the uh, artificial hearts, you know, or at least transplanted hearts from, from pigs. And so they made a sort of wrapped up uh pig tissue even to make a plug. I mean like a like a cork to to put in the leak. But every time they fixed it, <laughs> it. It was a pork cork, exactly right. Um so every time they fixed it it would eventually leak again. And uh it got to the point in 2009 I was actually diagnosed uh actually what they thought at the time was brain cancer and kind of gave us the uh, you know kiss your butt goodbye speech and Don't Step on my toes, buddy. Yeah, exactly. I know that's your turf. I was just, uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of yours, so I'm just trying to, you know, emulate you as best as possible. So, no, but um, long story short, uh, we were fortunate enough to, it was not uh, metastasis, it was actually infection. And, hmm. you know, you're, you shouldn't be able to get that type of infection in the brain because of the blood-brain barrier. But what was happening was it was leaking from that leak at the anastomosis or the junction in my, uh, you know, in my gut, Uh, into an abscess next to my lung and then somehow communicating to the lung and then going to the brain. So I had strep uh, in the brain, and I had about 10 sort of ping-pong ball size abscesses in my brain, um, which they cleared up. And then in 2010, it came back with like 14 to 16 of the same things. Uh Uh, So, you know, what they told me was I had a 2% chance of surviving the gastric cancer, but the brain infections were so deadly and so severe that there really isn't numbers small enough to assign to my odds of surviving those. So that's why this year we had to do the total gastrectomy because no matter how many times they, you know, fixed it, it, it kept leaking. And uh, we were kind of tired of playing those odds. I joke with uh, my surgeon, Dr. Hofstetter, that uh, the 12th one should be free. It's like one of those. <laughs> You, you have 11 surgeries and the 12th one's on them. But so I, honestly, the, I don't want to cash that card in. I'm, I think I'm, yeah. I'm like done.
2: For yeah. Yeah. So, so the infections in the brain now—that's all cleared up.
5: Uh, it is. Now I do sometimes have some uh, uh, residual memory uh, issues from time to time, which is convenient sometimes. If I, my wife says, "You remember I told you this thing about this thing," and I'm like, oh, "Nope, nope, <laughs> sorry, yeah, brain infection." I work for somebody I, like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, uh, you know, it's uh, but luckily she has a pretty good sense of humor too, so we can. We can banter about like that. I mean, we've been honestly through, you know, again, some of the scariest uh, troughs that life uh, can offer. So when you can have a little, you know, levity to it um, and, and share a laugh over something that's scary, it's, it's a good thing.
1: Well, I mean, the black humor of young adult cancer is, is what sort of drives the movement. We're all sort of dark comics with what, what goes on. We joke on the show sometimes with, with how many things can they remove from your body? Will you still be alive and functioning?
5: No, that's a good point. And, and, uh, in fact, he's literally said there's nothing else to take at this point. You know, that's why we did the total gastrectomy, because he said, look, we've harvested, uh, as you mentioned, the the shoulder muscle. What they did was actually they took uh, the muscle from my shoulder. And at the time, the plastic surgeon who did that said, "Uh, well, at least you're not a tennis player. And I said, well, honestly, that's the only sport I've ever played in my whole life was was (laughs) tennis and and still uh, still planned on it and still do, actually. I'm just... uh, but anyway, so what they did was they took shoulder muscle and made a band aid out of my own, um, out of my own shoulder muscle, atta- leaving it attached at one side, and so uh, they were able to wrap that junction, hoping that that would would close the leak, but it uh, it did not.
2: So. so, so Hans, what is it like to live without a stomach? I mean, you said you have to eat small meals, but how does what what is your daily life
5: like? You know, that's that the uh, I. I joke that sometimes I shouldn't. Um, I shouldn't think about it too much because it, it doesn't make sense that uh, I actually eat more now with no stomach than I did with half a stomach, uh, because with half a stomach there was something to get full. You know, it actually would would fill up, and uh, I would almost kind of feel like I was drowning a bit because it would. Uh, you know, it was such a small pouch, and so close to you know my my throat that if I ate too much, if I took that one extra bite, you know. It, it felt like I was sort of choking, kind of drowning almost. But now with no stomach, essentially what they did, um, and to give you the, just a the, the quick rundown of it, was they took a piece of my intestine called the jejunum, which I didn't know I had a jejunum until they until they took it. Right. Um, they took a piece of my jejunum and fashioned a new esophagus. Essentially, now they had been for a time making uh, out of out of intestines a, a fake stomach or sort of a, a pseudo stomach or a pouch, but found that since you know, that's not what it was designed to do, and it just sat there pouch. pouch. Uh, patients had issues like diverticulitis, where food was getting trapped in the, you know, in sort of the corners of that. So what they do now uh, is essentially they just, when I swallow, it goes into that last little remaining three inches of my original esophagus, or that's where I get the swallow um, sort of muscular contraction.
0: Yeah. And then it
5: goes into my intestine, into my jejunum, which has now been, relocated up until into my, you know, ab- my abdomen, into my chest. And the jejunum has that kind of natural, what's called peristalsis, which is the sort of contraction. So that's the part of, my, of anyone's gut that does help move the, the already consumed food through your GI tract. It, it has that sort of downward contraction. So when I swallow, it just goes from that bit of esophagus into the jejunum and then into, uh, into the rest of my gut for, uh, you know, to... To finish trying to extract as much nutrition as it can out of there, but for me that is a little difficult because I have no stomach acid because with no stomach there's no stomach acid, um, and I have no digestive enzymes because that's also where those things are uh, are produced. And that's you know obviously your stomach is more than a pouch it's a yeah. you know it's machine that's where things happen. Right. But that's gone so I do have some some difficulties with uh, with digestion. Um, but like I said more often the best thing for me to do is to eat. Continuously throughout the day, so I keep myself uh, kind of loaded up with things like Brazil nuts, which are 33 calories a piece. And I well,
2: love Brazil nuts.
5: Uh, they're Tasty. fantastic, and uh, or cashews, or even just peanuts. You know, so I always keep those kind of high-protein snacks uh, within arm's reach. So I'm constantly sort of grazing and keeping so, food going.
2: So, so how can you tell then if you're? And first, first of all, do, do you ever have problems? Do you have to take extra tiny bites, and, and, and how can you, um, to make sure that things are really broken down, and how, can, how does this sort of weight gain or loss, um, do you have difficulty gauging that?
5: Sure, and, and honestly, uh, weight gain is a challenge for me. So I, you know, I originally was 215 pounds. When I was on the Next Food Network Star in 2005, I gained a, a little extra weight, and I was up to 215 pounds. And my lowest weight was about 126, and today I'm about 140. And they they want me to get to about 160, uh, which is not easy uh, because again, I um, I just have a hard time uh, keeping that much uh, uh, going, you know. And so yes, I and I should be chewing constantly, but like anybody else, I mean, you know, I'm busy and I I you know I'm doing more things than I should sometimes, and uh, so I do eat sometimes in a hurry. And as you can tell by my speech pattern, I sort of think fast. I
0: talk yeah.
5: fast, I eat fast and um, so but it is a struggle, it absolutely is and then uh anyone who's had a gastrectomy or a gastric bypass uh there's something called dumping syndrome, and dumping syndrome sounds like a bathroom uh you know problem, hmm. but it actually refers to how how quickly food sort of dumps from one stage to the next, and so uh the side effects of that are things like hypoglycemic shock, which um you know you kind of get the the shakes and very weak and um, so the the foods that are high in fat and high in sugars that would make me gain weight uh, trigger that dumping syndrome and essentially it just food moves through my body too quickly and i don't uh, i'm not able to extrapolate all the nutrition that I should
2: well our James our production assistant has a question here but I, but I have to say this is it sounds difficult and, and I applaud you i mean you've, you've gone through an amazing and uh journey here and your your spirit is incredible um, it's it's I'm sure it's difficult for you. It's fascinating, actually, to hear you discuss all of this, though. I have such an education. But, James, well, jump in with
3: you. Your, Hi, yeah. Hi, Hans. Uh, just a quick question for you. Oh, sure. sure. I've got food allergies. I've got, you know, tons that I have to deal with when I go into a restaurant. What does that present problems for you? And then even when you're traveling through airports, how do, how do you deal with that?
5: Uh, that's a good question. In fact, I'm leaving tomorrow for Italy. I'm actually going to cook at a food and wine festival uh, oh, for nice. a week. Um but, uh, yeah, it, it is tough. And, you know, what's um, luckily I don't have any food allergies, uh, knock on wood. Um, and the other thing is people don't believe me when I say that I don't have a stomach. Like, for a time I would try to order a smaller portion, um, you know, saying that, look, I, I don't have a stomach, or at that point I don't have half a stomach, or I don't have half a stomach. And I would always be met by sort of a, oh, you cheat ass, you know, you're just trying to, you know, get away with by ordering a kid's meal. Um but in truth, you know, I've gotten to the point now where I can eat about what all of us should be eating. So my portion size is what they really recommend for an adult to eat, which is a protein about the size of a deck of cards, you know, about a half a cup full of leafy greens or a half a cup of a, of a starch, that kind of thing. And so that's, again, the the portion that your nutritionist or dietitian would tell you that's the correct portion. So a a kid's meal Mm -hmm. in most restaurants is really what we should be eating.
3: Right. So Um, is it more or less just portion and then you can eat almost anything you want?
5: That's true. That's pretty much, uh, you know, I I don't do well with spicy anymore, which is sad because I I do love uh, some good spicy food. So that's an issue for me because, again, I don't have any of the sort of protective uh, things because, you know, normally your stomach helps break that thing down enough, whatever it is you've eaten. Uh, to a stage where it's a little less harsh on your guts because the acids have broken things down, and it's also mixing with other foods that you've eaten and liquids that you've consumed. And mm-hmm. so, but for me, it's pretty much a straight shot into the intestines. And if you know, you know that can be a delicate balance. I mean, you know, there are days where you just kind of feel like, you know, what did I do to deserve this? Well, that I have a lot of those days too where uh, I have problems intestinally. Um so so like, yeah, so, so, so yeah, with well, the
1: with the days of the deep fried ghost peppers and, and four loco behind you.
5: Yes, exactly right. And, um uh no more of that uh, no habaneros or, or those kind of things. Um, this, or the uh, spicy vindaloo. I love Indian <laughs> uh, food. So I would love like a lamb vindaloo sort of thing or even uh you know even vegetarian vindaloo. And so those days that sadly are gone. But that's okay. There's plenty of other things to uh, to enjoy there.
1: I mean the the whole focus of the show, the whole focus of our organization is to highlight how different it is to be diagnosed with cancer when you're a young adult and that you're just trying to live your life, you're trying to make your marriage work, you you may be raising kids, want to have kids,
0: sure.
1: you know, getting your job back, the irony of it being your job is your cancer affects your job kind of thing. You know, I was a concert pianist. I lost the use of my life and I had to give up my career. So, right. you know, I can relate completely to everything you're going through, and I'm amazed and inspired by how you 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 kept going with this. I guess my question to you, that I know that our audience loves to hear the answer to from people, is, how do you respond
5: to people that say, "But you look great." Wow, well, you know that's a, that's a good question because I've I've been told um, uh, by by friends um, that. Um, They'll say, wow, you know, you look great. What's your secret? So folks who didn't know my cancer diagnosis that want to know what my weight loss secret is, and I'll say, wow, it, it's highly effective, but I wouldn't recommend it, you know, <laughs> um, my yeah. weight loss secrets. But, yeah, it's always sort of this consolation thing. I know exactly what you mean. Is there? It's almost like, as an aside, oh, but you look fantastic. But I, I am a skinny dude, and there's that whole, for me, you know, professionally, as you mentioned, uh, there's the whole never-trust-a-skinny-chef stigma. Um, <laughs> and so... You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. so, um, that is something that I do have to kind of work through. And the, the other thing that I, the question that I hate is, oh, well, na- you know, do you eat healthier now? Well, in, in honesty, I was the guy that was preaching this before my uh, diagnosis. I was the guy that I was teaching uh, classes at Whole Foods, and, you know, uh, when Whole Foods first came to Atlanta, I was spending my whole paycheck at Whole Foods. I've always been... An advocate for eating uh, healthy and avoiding, um, you know, the bovine growth hormones. And, and my sister had cancer, and she passed away from breast cancer the year before I was diagnosed at a very young age. Um, and
3: you've seen food come through the back of the restaurant. And you know, you know, where to, why to, where to buy things and where not to. Sure,
5: sure, exactly right. And uh, we've always uh, kept a little garden. So I was an advocate for this before. So I, it, uh, it does kind of urge me when people assume that my cancer came from poor choices in my life rather than from just a crap hand that I was dealt and you know uh, they always want to know what my symptoms were because they want to know you know if if they're going to get away uh, with the the crap life that they're living you know (laughs) Um, so yeah that's it is it definitely is an interesting thing thing when people ask those questions you know
2: Hans we have to wrap just in a minute but before we go tell us um, and particularly I'm a former editor of TV guy, having covered this stuff so you are on the next Food Network Star what was it like being on that show? Can you give us a little behind-the-scenes uh? of
5: it? I don't it. want to take the mystery away from uh, from things, you know, but I think everyone knows at this point that reality television is its not. <laughs> not reality at all. <laughs> right, and, Uh right. There was definitely formulaic. Uh, the the lady who got uh, kicked off before me had seen my name and her name on a list of who was coming to the eliminated finalist uh, dinner that evening before <laughs> we'd even done the, the, the challenge that day. You know, so sadly, you know, a lot of that is not as real, you know, reality as it should be.
2: But so you weren't that, so you weren't shocked by Kim Kardashian's divorce then?
5: <laughs> oh, no no, no, no. But you know, having said that, <laughs> if they asked me today to come back and and do it again and even told me look you're going to be eliminated the third in the show, I still would do it again because I made such incredible friends that are still to this day my friends and it was just damn fun. I mean, I'm cooking on somebody else's tab, you know what I mean, like yeah, right yeah. in New York and so I would do it again. It was a lot so of fun.
2: So your restaurant's called Out of the Blue?
5: No, no, i the, the um the restaurant's actually called the Woodbridge Inn. Oh,
0: sorry. Um, Woodbridge the Inn. Out of the
5: Blue is a a dear friend of mine, uh, that's a gourmet shop that I that I kind of in cahoots with. Oh,
0: the uh, gourmet But shop. No, the restaurant's okay.
5: called the Woodbridge Inn. My folks uh, bought it in 1976, which is where I grew up, and uh, my wife and I still, you know, still run it today. So um uh, I'm proud of it. It's a little little sleepy town called Jasper. The hotel was built in 1880, and it's just a it's a really cool, charming place. Jasper,
2: Georgia, right?
5: Jasper, yeah. Georgia. So you cross a little wooden bridge, and you're kind of on an oasis.
2: That's great. And, uh,
1: all right, so we got to wrap. But congratulations. You're doing Rachel Ray, I heard, you said. You're, well, i have
5: got to fight for Rachel Ray and also the show The Doctors. And um, hopefully New York Times is going to feature something for Thanksgiving from my book. And, again, the book's called Eat Like There's No Tomorrow. And um, I... I'm proud of it. It's, uh, you know, my cancer tale as well as um, some, some good uh, healthy recipes. So.
2: Eat like there's no tomorrow.
5: We're proud of you, too, bro. Tell them stupid cancer says hello.
2: Great
1: to have uh, you, Han. All right.
5: My, my pleasure, Nate. Anytime you guys uh, want some cooking segments or whatever you want to do, I'm, I'm game. Just let me know.
1: We love it. We love it. Be careful what you wish for. Exactly. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs>
5: Cheers, guys. Thanks so much. All right. right. Bye. Hans we'll see you Rupert soon. everybody. Thank
1: Hans you. Rupert. What a cool guy. No, he's amazing. So upbeat. He is. Insanely, Great energy. He's just cool. He's, Great guest. And he's genuine. He's not like trying to put on like a front because he's. what he's just. He's genuine. He's. He's dealing with this in, in. I mean, I couldn't make this up.
2: I got three letters for you. OMG. OMG. Mm.
1: Maybe mm. we'll see. Mm. Entirely possible. Mm. All right. Our next guest tonight is another good friend of mine. Let's uh, cue him up. All right, you up.
2: do it then. You do all the intros, Matt. alright right, we're That's gonna, it. It's that kind of show.
1: Uh, we'll Rick roll
2: you got this, Matt. You can do it. I feel it's in you.
1: Say it's sexier.
2: That wasn't me. That was Kim. I'm That's telling Kim. you to
1: say it's sexier than her. Oh, it's
2: sex off, shall? No, Kenny Ken, Ken, Ken will say it sexier. Kenny, say it. Go sexy. ahead, Kenny.
1: Go for it, Matt. Was... There you go. Matthew Farber is the director of provider economics and public policy for the Association of Community Cancer Centers. For five years, he has worked with the centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services, Congress. The Government Accountability Office, the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, and other key policymakers in Washington DC to help ensure patient access to quality cancer care and community cancer programs and in physician offices. Mr. Farber received his BA in international affairs and political science from the George Washington University and his MA in political management from the George Washington University Graduate School of Political Management. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, my friend and yours, one of the leads.
6: Matt Farber. Hi, Matt. Hi, how you doing?
2: Welcome to the right. show, bro. Thanks for having
1: me. We're excited to have you on the show. Matt is going to be uh, at OMG also. Nice. Looking forward to it, absolutely. Well, he's
2: got a heck of a lot of credentials, so I'm glad about that. I was
1: kind of, we have no ch- Anyone with those credentials, you mm-hmm. have to have I them in Vegas. Yeah. So congratulate your undergraduate and graduate degrees. I finally earned you something credible. You're coming to Vegas. It's about time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> credible says us. So, we make we make Vegas credible.
1: So I want a man on the show tonight because it, it actually does tie into the theme of stirring stirring the pot in a sense.
2: Steer it up. Bob Marley.
1: Because you are here to hold people accountable. You are here to make sure things get done uh to the best of your ability. And I mean if I'm paraphrasing, please correct me. But I I was always quite taken with, with what A triple C does. Uh and I love you to share that with the crowd so they know why you're on the show. And then I want to bring it back to because I know you were listening to the end of Hans's uh, his um, you know his story, interview. his interview. And this is an amazing generation that finds its way to live in every way possible in a system that's almost set up against itself. So I'd love you to just introduce yourself, introduce your work with A Triple C, and uh, we'll take the conversation from there.
6: Well, that sounds great. Thank you. And and you're absolutely right. There are a lot of tie-ins. Uh, the Association of Community Cancer Centers, ACCC, uh, we are an advocacy organization. Um, uh, we represent um, cancer hospitals and cancer uh, clinics across the country. Basically, anywhere you can get cancer care can be a member of ours. And what's unique about us is we're multidisciplinary. Uh, so it's not just the physicians or the nurses that we represent. It's everybody on the cancer care team. Um, the doctors, the nurses, the social workers, um, the navigators, the pharmacists, the administrators. um, Everyone who's involved in delivering that care is a member of our team, and we uh, educate for them, uh, and we advocate on their behalf uh, with lawmakers and with decision makers in in Washington, D.C., in Baltimore, at at Medicare, and across the country in in state capitals. And a lot of what we do is, is ensuring access, the best Access to the best care possible uh, at the right time, um, and to tie into what you said, you're absolutely right. The the system sometimes hurts itself by uh, the way it updates itself, and uh, what we face every year with potential changes to uh, to reimbursement, to cuts to Medicare, things like that. Um, so it it really becomes a difficult situation sometimes to make sure we can get that care out to the folks who need it where they need it.
1: So what what are your um I mean, with the health care debate and all the stuff going on, what, what are the biggest barriers that you face on a day-to-day basis as far as being effective?
6: Well, you know, if, you're never going to walk into a congressional office and say, are you for cancer care? Well, of course they're all going to be for cancer <laughs> care. No one in their right mind would ever say, no, 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 we spend enough money researching cancer. We don't have to spend any more money there. We pay enough for that. You're never going to find that. Right. Of course everyone's going to be for it. Well, what you have to do is, is getting it to that next level, is not just having them say, yes, I'm for this, okay, on, on to the next meeting. It's really driving home the point. You know, why is it necessary to be spending more money on research? Why is it so important not to be cutting back reimbursement every year, year after year, for, for uh, doctors who treat cancer and other diseases? This is not unique to this disease um, by any means, but on this show I think it's fair that we're being a little biased right now um so that's the hard part is taking it to that next step and convincing them that they do need to take this up as an issue they do need to care about it um and honestly the best way that i can do that is they they don't want to hear from me they want to hear from my members who are the doctors and the nurses and the social workers and they want to hear from then from their patients they are the best advocates they are the strongest advocates um, on driving home the point of you know better funding for cancer care research, better funding for cancer care in general.
1: So Mike, and by the way, you, you reminded me of, um, the Chris Rock movie Head of State. There's a <laughs> funny scene in there. I don't know why I remember this, but his opponent put up this crazy stupid uh, political ad, which is like you know the, the, his opponent was like you know John Smith is for cancer, he's for cancer. Mays Gilliam is not for cancer. Maze gilliam against cancer
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and that's what the whole stupid commercial was <laughs> like, he walks in the are you for cancer no i'm against cancer sir sorry thank you very much what do you see is the um i mean the idea of cancer research now is this is a larger breadth and scope i just got back from the live young adult alliance meeting we heard from so many like psychosocial researchers and you know, non biological experts, PhDs, MDs who are doing amazing work in the fields of like not cut you open, stitch you up research. Is 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 the idea of survivorship in the consciousness of you know, the the types
6: of shifts and changes that you're looking to affect? You know, more and more it is, and that's a great point. You know, What we have done and what the very smart researchers and and, and doctors across the country have done is is create um, this chronic condition called cancer. And so survivorship becomes so important that it's not just you're treating the patient and then that's it. You know, years and years ago um, it was a lot different when there was only a couple or handful of drugs available and you pretty much knew what the diagnosis was going to be and what the expectations were, and that's changed completely now you can have people living long full lives uh, after a cancer diagnosis and so a lot of research has to be done to study that to study the importance of the psychosocial aspect of care uh, the importance of uh, you know care navigation through what can be a very difficult and confusing system and what is often uh, you know something that's overlooked the entire idea of care navigation of survivorship services these are not things that are traditionally paid for when you're thinking about you know, going to the doctor's office and getting um, something billed you go in and get a test on this and that the doctors can write it down these are services that they perform that they really have no uh, ability to bill for um, and so i think it's fantastic that you have uh, these people with phds and other than chemistry or biology who are studying these other aspects of psychosocial care and, you know, what happens to the patients afterwards, 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, um, and what are the types of care that have to be uh, given at that point. And that can't be ignored.
2: So, Matt, how does it, how does the Cancer Center become a member of the Association of Community Cancer Centers and then speak specifically to your role as head of the Provider Economics and Public Policy Division?
6: Sure. Well, you know, it, it's uh, incredibly easy to become a member. Basically, if you provide um, uh, cancer care, um, in the United States, you essentially are eligible to become members, um, and you know we we do really provide a lot of great information, especially around some of those um, other pieces that we just mentioned. We we have a program on setting up a survivorship program, we have a program on on setting up a patient navigation system within your within your um, uh, facility, and building off our last speaker that you guys just had, we're currently developing a new set of guidelines for setting up a cancer nutrition program in your hospital, because nutrition services are becoming such an important part, um, you know, of that cancer survivorship program at these hospitals. Um, So we try and provide a lot of those resources to our members. Um, As for what I do, I handle more of the uh, policy issues and reimbursement issues that we face. So we've certainly been very busy lately uh, with health care reform. Certainly very interested in 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 the announcement today that, uh, the Supreme Court will be taking up the... The ruling next summer. yeah. Uh, yeah, so that'll be that'll really make for an exciting 2012. Um, Plus
2: that out. Tell everybody what went down today, man.
6: Oh, yeah. Um, well, the
1: Obama health care law that passed, what, two years ago, a year ago or so? 2010. Um, yeah, they've been fighting its constitutionality because it forces Americans to have to own right. uh, health insurance. So finally the Supreme Court, after months and months of whatever... You know, this district court and whatever, the Supreme Court is finally hearing the case for the constitutionality of the Obama health care law to determine whether it is constitutional. And it could be, forget the Republican agenda, it could just be summarily shut down for constitutionality purposes, which would make the election next year even more hotly contested. Although, I don't want to go too political, but if it is Romney versus Obama, they both kind of are on the same page with that, because Romney did... Obamacare in Massachusetts right. and based it off of whatever. So we'll see where that goes.
6: Right, and I think an important thing to, to note, and again, I agree, I don't want to get too political here, it's it's too late for that in the day, but <laughs> um the important thing here is one of the great things that healthcare reform did institute was eliminating um insurance companies from denying coverage due to pre existing conditions. Right. Which a lot of kids have that problem. It's a big win. Um is you have a pre existing condition for the rest of your life, essentially. And so starting in 2014, insurance companies can no longer deny you due to that pre-existing condition. However, if the if Supreme Court deems it unconstitutional, they have a second decision they have to make is, if they say it's unconstitutional, if the mandate is unconstitutional, they're then going to decide, is the entire law unconstitutional, thereby wiping out yeah. that very popular and very good change by getting rid of those pre-existing conditions uh, policies. So we're going to be waiting on, on bated breath. I mean, that's a tough one because that's a very popular provision on both sides. People like that provision don't want to see it go. Yeah. Um, uh, but that is something we have to worry about going forward.
1: Right, and again, regardless of that, regardless of whether they, they discuss the constitutionality, the other issue which is relevant, probably most relevant to us, is the idea of extending COBRA benefits to 26 years old. And mm-hmm. now there are like 15 million more young adults with coverage in the country that they, that were not here a year ago,
2: who can be on their parents'
3: right? Interest. That's right.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of young adults who could get cancer or get affected by cancer or have you know whatever. They now have coverage vis-a-vis their parents, which they didn't. That's a huge issue for us. I, can we can we t- dovetail into the uh, sort of why we're having you at OMG to talk about all these issues? But people want to understand how can I possibly influence. Capitol Hill. How do I get to talk to a senator? How do I get to talk to a congressman? What do I have to do to make a difference and a dent in their thought?
2: Call Matt, Farber.
1: Not you.
6: Yeah, not me, Matt. <laughs> I'm the bad guy to go there. Well, you can call Matt, and then he'll just call me. So that's, right, exactly. That's right. Um, right. No, I mean, you know, the reason that that you asked me, at least I think the reason that you asked me to speak at your conference in Las Vegas is that every individual can make a difference, and I don't want to, you know, sound too. You know, um, preachy or anything like that, but it really does matter, and you, re- you all really can make a difference by calling in or writing in and getting in touch with your elected officials. They need to know the issues. If you feel that there is something related to cancer care or anything else, but let's just stick on topic of cancer care that you think is not correct. For example, you think that there should be um, more uh, funds towards survivorship research or towards um, uh, something else within your local area at, at your hospital. It's important to, for them to know about it because if you don't tell them, they're not going to find out potentially. So it, it's, it's on everybody, each individual, to get in touch with their elected officials or to work with organizations like this one um, to make sure that they are aware of what the issues are. Um, and even if you uh, have one time visited a congressional office you know maybe three years ago and told them your story, you have to do it again because chances are the people, the staff members who you spoke to that first time, they're not there anymore. Um, There's very high turnover uh, on Capitol Hill in Congress when it comes to staff members. With next year's election, there could be very high turnover with the elected officials also, but that's yet to be seen. Um, So it's important to continually tell your story. Those are the most powerful messages, not any message that a lobbyist can say, not any message that even a, a physician can say. It's the patients, the people who've been through the process who have gotten the care they are the most powerful advocates for change. Um you see it all the time. I mean look at things you know like um uh you know some gun control laws have come out of people who've been involved in gun gun violence. Um similar things right. to that it happens because of people have advocated for things that have happened to them.
2: That's really so true. Getting, it's like Debbie Washam and Schultz who's been on our show uh involved Rosa DeLoro involved in I mean a lot of you well, know
1: Matthew White If
2: you're affected by it Ryan White Ryan White
1: Mhm
2: uh I'm t- yeah talking congress people yes
1: No I mean like like why like laws that have been brought to light because of horrible things that have happened to people
2: Yeah but but, but I mean but 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 congress people in particular who've been hit with cancer oh, and yeah. d- disease yeah, yeah. like those two Rosa DeLoro and Debbie Wasserman Schultz um particularly have been Effective. Who who else is on the forefront of leading um, other strong voices? Well, of course, Anthony Weiner was. was. He was. He was.
6: Yeah, uh, there there, there are a number of uh, people in Congress who are very good with issues surrounding cancer care. I mean, as you can imagine, it is nearly impossible to find out of the 535 people who are in Congress right now. There is probably not one who in some way has not been touched by cancer, whether directly to them or a family yeah. member, as I'm sure you can imagine. And so all of them are aware of the issues um, that uh, cancer patients and cancer survivors face. I mean, obviously, um, you know, we lost a very good advocate in, in, in Ted Kennedy uh, mm-hmm. last year. Um, yeah. He was always very strong on, on cancer issues. But you know, really you do have quite a few people there. There is a cancer caucus. Um, in, in the House of Representatives, so it is members who know that cancer is an important enough issue for them that they want to take this up and, and belong to this caucus because the issues are important to them. So I think that just kind of goes to show you how important this issue is um, that they have a group that meets and discusses issues just for this uh, this one issue.
3: Young James, our production assistant, has a question. James. Young James. Okay. So um, we've been talking, or the healthcare debate was talking about the fee-for-service model, that physicians only get paid for the services they provide, and the more services they provide, the more they get paid. Do you think that's going to change anytime soon?
6: That's a great question. Um, you're right. I mean, the way that, that the system is set up now is – You have a doctor bills for a service, he can get paid for that service. Uh, Perform a service, bills for it, gets paid for it. Yes, I do believe that is beginning to change, and we're already starting to see signs of that. And cancer is a difficult um, disease state to do this in, but they are trying. To give you one example, there is an insurer that is starting to pay or is trying to pay based on episodic care. So, for example, what they will do is they'll tell the doctor, okay, I'm going to give you X dollars to treat this patient's cancer for four months. Do with it as you may, but here's the money you can do as all the tests you want. You can use this chemotherapy, that radiation oncology, Um, but here's the allotted dollars that you will get. Now, it's not just a number picked out of the sky. It is based on the guidelines for proper treatment um, uh, of that cancer, but that is one way that they are starting to move into. So, you know, within that money, the doctor can do as much or as little as as, may, as they deem necessary, um, and they're just getting that one pot of money at the beginning of the care. And um, where so would your
3: example. where would your clients fall in the spectrum of whether or not they'd be for or against that?
6: Well, it's difficult because cancer, obviously, like I said, cancer is a tough disease to, to move into with that. Uh, as an example, diabetes care uh, management is a little bit simpler to do, you know, like I just mentioned, but because cancer is so personalized, what works for one does not necessarily work for another. I'm sure you've heard many, many experiences of that with, with your guests over, uh, over the course of your shows. Um, so it's hard to say, okay, this treatment is always going to work for everybody. You know, that's why we have second-line and third-line and fourth-line treatments um, in cancer care. So it's difficult. I think our members recognize that a change has to happen, Um, because the current system is starting to shift. um, And so they are gearing up for that and getting ready for that. And so essentially what they want to ensure, the key point is that uh, our physicians are still able to give the best quality care that they deem necessary in whatever system kind of comes down the line from private payers, from Medicare, or whomever. Um, We certainly don't want to handcuff the doctors and take away their decision-making process. We want to make sure they still have that decision-making power to to use whatever treatments they seem best. And that's what's more important to us, that our providers can give their patients the best treatment.
1: So, all right, we have to wrap the segment, but one last question for you. Um, what's the website for ACCC, and what can the layperson do to help you guys be more effective?
6: Well, the website is www.accc-cancer.org. Don't just do ACC.org. That's going to take you somewhere totally different. Um, but uh, the layperson can get involved. Um, of course, you can always volunteer at your local cancer center, at your hospital. That's always very appreciative, uh, appreciative. Or if you want to get involved on a political and an advocacy and grassroots level, you can uh, advocate for more cancer research. You can advocate for more funding uh, for hospitals and for physicians and for proper reimbursement which is something that a lot of us in the, in the, in the field feel we do not get, um, but get involved. Um, you can be a cancer survivor. You can be a relative of a cancer survivor. It, it doesn't matter. You cannot be touched by cancer at all, but get involved, and that's the message we're really going to take to the conference in Las Vegas in March and really push that you can get involved. It's very easy, and you can make a big difference doing so.
1: Well said. Well said. Like a true champion. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on the show. We'll have you back next spring because we're going to start teasing all the uh, wonderful breakout sessions we're going to have, and uh, spread the word. OMG, 2012 Vegas launches tomorrow. Matt Farber, a lot, guys. Matthew Farber, thank you so Thanks much. So Take much. care, Matt Farber. Everybody from A Triple C, the Association of Community Cancer Centers. Good stuff. It
2: took me three times to get it right in the chat room. That's but it's, okay. But it's
1: posted. I forgive you, Lisa. I know. I
5: forgive you.
2: Thank you.
1: All right, let's rush over to our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh,
3: I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets.
5: Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to
3: all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping.
0: You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, <laughs> you done it again. <laughs> that was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer.
2: All right, that is tonight's show, number 205. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. We'd like to thank our on-air
1: and in-studio guests, Kenny Kane, James Manning, Kimberly Hillam, Jenna Ben, Hans Rupert, and Matthew Farber.
2: All right, everybody, join us next week as we discuss advanced and chronic cancer with Connie Baki. She is a certified hospice and palliative nurse, author of Dying to Know, Straight Talk About Death and Dying. And a producer of Living Through Dying the Struggle for Grace, founder and executive director of Passages. Also, Jenny Greenfield, hospice social worker and a volunteer at Can't Make a Dream. And you know her, you love her, rock star, Survivor Spotlight, Ally Ward. <laughs> Bring it! Come on, young adult survivor, ovarian cancer, and she's the chair of the OMG 2012 Cancer Summit Steering Committee.
1: If you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes anytime at iTunes. StupidCancer.com or check out the archives at StupidCancerShow.com. Remember, folks if it ain't stupid it ain't cancer live from the chemo deck on behalf of Lisa Bernhardt and myself and our whole team here at the stupid cancer show
0: have a great week
1: good night everybody here
3: we go <laughs>